Thank you for joining us on episode eight of the Overcoming Monday podcast, where we provide you with little secrets for your big breakthrough. In each episode, we'll hear from writer, speaker, mom, and pastor's wife, Shari King, as she invites you into conversations with some of her favorite people. They're talking about the issues that matter most to you. Overcoming Monday is a podcast designed to enhance your emotional and spiritual health. Our mission is to help you understand yourself, the people you love, and the world around you so that you can win where it matters most. Now let's get started with an introduction to the episode. I'm here with Shay Gardner. She co-hosted with me today, and I was so excited she could come because you weren't going to be able to. I know, and finally I found someone to watch my kids. (laughs) Yes, and for the perfect person because Carolyn Mm. Custis James. Uh, If you guys don't know her, I'm telling you, you need to buy her books. Mm. You need to listen to any podcast you can get from her because I feel like she's the like deep knowledge woman yes. of the world right now. Yes. And I felt like listening to her was like drinking from a fire hydrant. Mm-hmm. Like I just couldn't almost get enough of what she was saying. I think I could sit and listen to her talk. It's just so inspiring the way she does it. So eloquent. But mm-hmm. I think the one thing that she said that really stuck out to me, and I didn't think that this would be the topic that would, but it was just about theology. And I think I always equate theology with classes in a seminary, mm-hmm. but there's just the beauty that she talked about theology as a relationship with God. And it's just knowing him more. That is theology mm-hmm. and how the women in the Bible did that. How yeah. they knew God more. How Jesus pursued women and yes. God has pursued women to ask them and to show them what they need to believe mm-hmm. in order to live the life that we live yes. in abundance. Yes, That's really what it is. So today we talked about the the importance for women to know what they believe Mm -hmm. so this episode is called what women believe and uh we talked about a few of her books in this episode so that you can kind of get a preview of the goodness that Mm -hmm. she writes and i would say that eloquence is how she speaks Mm -hmm. you'll just listen to her and be drawn in for sure yes so we hope that today we will give you some little secrets to overcome your big breakthrough. I keep saying this wrong. <laughs> little secrets for your big breakthrough on Overcoming Monday. Carolyn Custis James is an award-winning author who thinks deeply about what it means to be a female follower of Jesus in a postmodern world. As a cancer survivor, she is grateful to be alive and determined to address the issues that matter most. Her speaking and writing ministry is dedicated to addressing the deeper needs which confront both women and men as they endeavor to extend God's kingdom together in a messy and complicated world. So, Carolyn, that's a little bit of a mouthful, but basically, um, the reason that I fell in love with you um, is the first day that I picked up your book in a bookstore, I saw the title on the front, and it said, this is my first uh, um, meeting you, I guess, was in a bookstore where I picked up a book that said, Lost Mm -hmm. Women of the Bible, and I started reading that. Um, book. And I think for me, I was attracted to it because I kind of felt lost in ministry as a woman in ministry, um, feeling like Mm -hmm. most of the people that I met were men Mm. or most of the people that I'd heard speak or teach me were men. And I really Mm -hmm. honestly hadn't been taught a lot about women in the Bible. And so 
I was very much attracted to that book, Lost Women in the Bible, and I ate it up. I mean, I read it so fast. I think I read it in one day. So I want to thank you for that because it just opened up, I think, I don't know how to explain it, maybe a confidence in my value too um, in the Lord. Not that I didn't know that I was valued and that He didn't love me or that I was His daughter, but starting to see women in the Bible have a significant mm. role and a significant message changed some things for me. So I want to thank you for that. Um, will you just take a minute to tell our audience a little bit about yourself? Wow. Well, I think um, I share your experience of lostness. Uh, I, I grew up in a pastor's home. Um, it was a wonderful place to grow up. Uh, but the message that I got growing up was that the roadmap for me was different than it was for my brothers. I have three brothers, and I was the only girl in the family. So it didn't take long to figure out that the rules were different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, the game plan was for me to get married and have children and volunteer in a Sunday school class or, you know, just um, – build my life around my husband and my Mm. children. And so when post-college there wasn't anybody I wanted to marry, it it was like the bottom dropped out. It's sort of like there's no story here. Mm. And and that began the struggle for me to ask questions about God's purpose for me as a woman. Is, is Is it something I can miss? Mm. Is it is it something that someone can cheat me of? Mm. Can I can I ruin it myself? Mm. Um, you know, is it can I get it and then lose it? It just all those questions came at me, and I you know it, it was as hard as it was because it lasted for a decade. Okay, it wasn't just a year after college, which was bad enough for me because mm. it was it was so not what happened to the other women in my family. Mm. Um, but it was, you know, it went on for a long enough time that I really had to wrestle and it made me notice other women that I probably never would have noticed if I was just chugging along with my own little perfect life. Um, and the questions just have gotten bigger and bigger. And the books that I write really chronicle that journey for me. I mean, I'm, I'm always interested to hear somebody else talk about reading my books mm-hmm. because this, I, you know, their experience is parallel to mine. Um, you know, we're, we're for different reasons on, on the same quest to, to know, you know, do we matter to what God is doing in the world and do our lives count when maybe we're completely behind the scenes and nobody is patting us on the back um, or that our whole hope and dream for our lives has just collapsed around us. And I, I wanted to know is God's vision for his daughters for all of us. And does it cover every day of our life, no matter where we live or what our circumstances are or um, what season of life we're in or what we see in the rear view mirror is it is it indestructible? And can I say it to any woman, whether her life is 
playing out according to what I thought mine would or whether she's coming out of sex trafficking. You know, can we, mm. is it is it big enough for all of us? And, um, you know, that was a huge part for me. And then also just the contrast between what, as a woman, I was being offered spiritually mm. and what I need. So, mm. you know, the the in that circumstance, when the bottom dropped out for me and my life seemed to be going nowhere, I'm going to reach for what I believe about God. I'm not going to reach for my father's theology or, you know, my best friend's theology or my professor's the I'm, I'm going to reach for what I believe about God. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fluff isn't going to hold, <laughs> you know, we need, we need to know more. And, so those were kind of the driving forces for my work. Um, I didn't want to write books for women that were girly or, you know, in the pink corner of the bookstore. I wanted to write books for women that men would read and mm-hmm. that would be that significant in terms of content and depth. Mm-hmm. So, because we need that. Yeah, we do. So good. Shay Shay shares a little bit of your, um, when she graduated college, she wasn't in the path of marriage either. So Mm -hmm. Shay, you want to speak to that? Yes. I kind of grew up very similar to you as a pastor's daughter and just always questioned my role, knew that Jesus had a strong calling for me from a young age. And my father always encouraged that in every way. And maybe out of most people that stood behind our pulpit, I was one of the only females that he allowed. And so that was a gift to me because it really encouraged me and propelled me into what Jesus had. And so mission work is one of those things. And um, as a single woman on the mission field, you know, it's challenging. And more so than that, I feel like it's a gift because I learned in my 20s about singleness that when all my friends were getting married and having children which was wonderful and exactly what jesus had for them my story looked so different than theirs and it was a beautiful story though and i think i relate to um growing up always wondering if i would miss it if i would miss what jesus had for me same fears as you if if there was something i could do or someone i could marry that would mess up this vision that jesus has for me in my life And I feel like as I grew to know him more and understand who he is to me, um, I really was able to step into the freedom of being a woman and being able to say yes to the hard things that he had for me. And so it was just a very transformative season, um, but I really um, own that. and And I love what you said about wanting other women to understand that too, no matter where they are. And so I have a very similar heart because my 20s were very much the same as yours Um, but Jesus really just wrecked me in that and that my value stemmed from him and that was it and so I really stepped into that painfully sometimes lots of tears sometimes um, wishing I had what others had but in that season I feel like Jesus just really um, wrapped his arms around me and pushed me into the giftings that he'd given me and I am so thankful for that time. I literally would not trade it for anything in the world. <laughs> and um, I'm just, yeah, I love that. So everything you say, Shari and I were listening to a podcast of yours in the car the other day. 
And every two <laughs> seconds we were stopping it to talk about it because it was just <laughs> so rich mm-hmm. and so good. And just mm-hmm. what women need to hear. I wish that, you know, 18 year old me could have heard the podcast that I heard the other day mm-hmm. um, because it just is so true. You just speak such truth about who we are and just the role that we have in his kingdom. So thank you for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I totally agree with you. And I, I admire you for what you did, because I think one of the big things that we struggle with when we hit a stretch of life that doesn't match our roadmap hmm. is that we resist it. Hmm. And we, like for me, there was a lot a lot of messages were coming to me to, to wait. You know, it'll happen, it'll happen. Hmm. And you know, I wish I had done what you did in terms of embracing the story that God was giving me, that mm-hmm. there is a story here. Mm-hmm. And um, funny thing, when I when I got married, my my husband said to me, you need to find out what your gifts are and what God wants you to do with your mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm. And I'm not the answer to that question, wow. you know, which was sort of like, oh, Yeah, you know, it was a big it was a big. Yeah, but I feel like, oh, you know, God has a calling on each one of us, Mm -hmm. no matter where we are, no matter what our circumstances are, you know, it's our lives matter. And every bit of it matters. Even, Mm. you know, one of the things I care about are little girls, Mm. you know, who and some of them who are starting to grasp this are just on fire. It's mm-hmm. just, it is so, we had a, a group of sixth and seventh grade girls in, in the local area here who read through Lost Women of the Bible with their art teacher. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go meet with them, you know, <laughs> find out what do they think. And it was incredible. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were just, one of one of their dads was a little alarmed that they were going to study the story of Judah and Tamar, you know, yeah. Tamar. And- I loved that one. When you, I <laughs> love that. Anyway, I don't want to interrupt you, but when I read that, I remember thinking when I read it, why would she do this? What's so significant? Why is this in the story? But then also thinking to myself, mm-hmm. he's going to find a prostitute. And it just didn't make any sense to me when I was younger and read it. And so when you break down this, I mean, I want you to do it right now. But mm-hmm. when you break down the story of Tamar and Lost Women of the Bible, I, mm-hmm. it's like um, something, the, a veil came out from over my eyes. And I just thought, oh my goodness, the Lord had something for her to do. She had a mission and she obeyed, even though it looks scandalous, he used her mm-hmm. in yeah. the situation to make the right thing happen. So yeah. anyway, go ahead. I'm sorry I interrupted you, but I loved it. <laughs> no, but then when these little girls, this dad called the teacher and said, you know, I'm not sure the girls should be looking at this. And um, she said, she said he was one of her former students. She said, you know me, I'm not going to do something bad with our girls. And so when the girls came, they had read the chapter, they had notes written out. And, and I think it was his daughter who said, aren't we supposed to read the whole Bible? (laughs) Oh, wow. But they, I mean, they were, they were on fire. It was it was so incredible. One of them said she wanted to be a veterinarian, but now she wants to go to seminary and be a Bible teacher. And yeah, wow. I mean, it was just, and it, 
and they prayed around the table. It was just amazing to hear these girls. Anyway, yeah, yeah. we so little girls need it. Elderly women need it. We all need it. And, mm. you know, I'm right there in the middle of everybody else, you know, yeah. needing it too. Needing mm-hmm. to belong, I think. I was a little bit of a tomboy growing up, and my mom had me a dance class, I think because she loved dance. And it was okay, but I just... I mean, I like to dance, but I didn't love ballet (laughs) and I wanted to do jazz. But at the time at which I wanted to take jazz or even hip hop, it was the scandalous thing for a Christian girl to do. So I was like, (laughs) so the things that I wanted to do, I just felt like weren't allowed there. But what I really wanted to do was play soccer. I watched my brother play (laughs) soccer and I did not want to do dance. I didn't want to do do gymnastics. I didn't want to be in parades wearing sparkles. I wanted to (laughs) play soccer. But there was no girl soccer team. And yeah. I remember the first soccer team I played on was an all-boys soccer team. <laughs> and I was the only girl on it. And I don't know why they did this, but they stuck me as sweeper, which is right in front of the goal, which is the worst position to put someone who's never played before because basically <laughs> the ball came to me. I didn't know what to do, and it bounced off and went in our goal. So I scored on my own team, <laughs> on a team of boys. But they just put me in the wrong place. But anyway, I played <laughs> soccer and on a boys team for a lot. Actually, I played that year, but then I played girls. But then in my mm. high school, there wasn't a girls team either. But I'd been playing classic league. And so I made the boys team. And it wasn't that I wanted to show mm. up a boy. And it wasn't that I wanted to be better. It's just that I wanted to do what I loved. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what was hard for me when I felt called to ministry when I was 12, all I saw were um, women doing children's ministry and singing solos or being pastor's wives. And and I, I was scared to babysit children. I felt like they were always tricking me. And so there was this <laughs> weird dynamic of me feeling like I can't do children. Mm. And then like, I can sing, but I'm not like, Sandy Patty or whatever you want to call it, and Cole Nordeman, you know, I'm like pulling from all generations. I'm not those people. And so what I left was the Bible. I just loved it. I ate it up. I memorized scripture. People would ask me questions and I'm always talking about the Bible. I think they got tired of me. And so that's, I think that's where I was gifted. And so I just felt like why it's not fair that I can't do what I feel like I'm naturally gifted to do just because I'm a girl. Like, just because I was born a girl and not a boy. I have no control over that. But I but I know that this is what I love. I love reading. I love helping mm-hmm. people understand. These are the things that I love. And mm-hmm. um, I know when I read Lost Women of the Bible, the other, another um, standout person was when you have Miss Noah in there. <laughs> you had to say Miss Noah because her name's not even in it. And that stood out to me so mm-hmm. much as... You know that this woman um, supported her husband, who probably everybody thought was completely crazy. crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and she did it enough to even like bring their family along, mm-hmm. which, I mean, that's a big job. And he didn't build that mm-hmm. ark by himself. I'm sure she had some carpentry skills, you know? <laughs> and she's feeding these animals and she's doing things that aren't, quote, Hmm. womanly I think probably a lot of the time helping him lift logs or helping him do all of these things I Hmm. guarantee you she was a pretty tough lady 
And so <laughs> that, um, <laughs> yeah, my mom asked for a chainsaw one year for Christmas and <laughs> I was like, mom, you want a chainsaw? But I just thought you're Miss Noah, <laughs> you know, um, who was your favorite person, um, that you studied when you read lot? I mean, when you wrote Lost Women of the Bible? Well, I would say Tamar because, you know, it's just such a, it's such a shake up from the way we typically talk talk about her or skip over her. Mm. And, um, Mm. you know, so, I mean, I love them all and I learned from them all. I think, you know, Eve is probably the most significant because her story frames all the other stories in our stories too. And, um, yeah, I think, you know, so I talk about her all the time. When I go speak at conferences, I mm. talk about being the Azer, the Azer warrior. And I have Azer mm. on my license plate. Mm-hmm. I love <laughs> so, that word. I love, it, I love it so much. <laughs> hey, I've been saying it wrong. So if you ever uh, watch me on it, you probably won't. But if you ever do, I didn't know it until I actually heard you say it on a podcast um, because I didn't look in the bibliography graphical information when you put the little asterisk there to see how to say it (laughs) but um but I'm I'm like that too sometimes I'll speak at a conference and I'm breaking down the word and then all of a sudden it's always going back to Genesis I feel like it's always going back to that Hmm. um to the story of the fall and how the what the Lord originally intended and then the fall comes and then Ever since then, he's got this plan to restore us and to love us and to bring us back to where what we lost. That's yeah. the story. That's yeah. the complete story. And so I feel like all scripture seems to always wind back there for me. Um, so many concepts in that uh, in that way. But um, can you just clarify for a minute for our listeners, because maybe some people don't know this information about Tamar. Uh, will you just summarize her life? Um, we're going to go into some theology right here so people can have a better understanding of who she is and what she could mean to their life. Mm -hmm. Well, there are a couple of things that you have to say about Tamar before before she even is in the story. And one is that there's already a story going on that um, Jacob, who had 12 sons ultimately, is um, playing favorites. And... So it's there's a dis, terribly dysfunctional family, mm-hmm. but also um, it's within a patriarchal culture. And uh, you know I've reached the point in my study where I've said we've you know because patriarchy is on virtually every page of the Bible, we think that's the message. That some softer version of patriarchy is what the way God wants us to live. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. So it's not a kinder, gentler way of any social system or political system that exists in the world. And and that means patriarchy, too. But patriarchy is the backdrop to the Bible. It's the backdrop to the Bible's message. And when we start to understand patriarchy better, these stories take on deeper meaning, the the message of the gospel and God's kingdom and his purposes for us is in stark relief. Um, so she's in those two contexts. When when she enters the story, her father-in-law is in a is in a nosedive. Mm. 
Um, under patriarchy, one of the key elements of patriarchy is primogeniture. Um, under patriarchy, sons are prized and daughters don't count. A daughter's going to marry some, somebody else and go build that man's family. So she's sort of, I mean, they can use her to negotiate good relations with another important family, but she's not going to build the family. And if a man only has daughters, he's in, he's in trouble. So anyway, the way patriarchy works is the more sons you have, the better. And Jacob has 12, but under primogeniture, son number one is like the crown prince. And he gets twice as much inheritance as the rest of the brothers. And he's like, he's the star. And Jacob is bypassing 10 sons to bestow that all on Joseph number 11. Mm. And so it, it, it's, it's a story of the father wound. It's just, but anyway, that builds up their resentment to Joseph and they sell him. There's, they become human traffickers. We don't use that language, but they sell him as a slave, their brother. Mm-hmm. And, and Jake, uh, Judah leads a cover up and, and then he leaves and goes into Canaanite territory. He marries a Canaanite. They have three sons and he, his, um, he gets Tamar as a wife for his eldest son. Um, under patriarchy, it's the worst possible thing that happens to a man if he dies without a son. Mm-hmm. And um, her, her first husband is a wicked man, and he dies without a son. And under the customs in the ancient patriarchal world, and this eventually was formalized in Mosaic law, um, the the living son of a dead man who dies without a male heir is to marry the widow and the son born to their union takes the dead man's place on the family tree. Mm. So, and this is a call to sacrifice because I mean, in simple, in the simplest terms, if you have three sons and one dies, the inheritance for the remaining two is going to skyrocket because they're, only two of them now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll just leave it at that. But anyway, it's obviously something that the son number two doesn't want to carry, carry through. So he does the honorable thing of marrying her, but he refuses to impregnate her. He just uses her for his pleasure, and then he withdraws so she can't get pregnant. Mm-hmm. So anyway, and he dies. And so that leaves the third son, and Judah sends Tamar home to her father to wait for the youngest son to grow up. And by the time he grows up of marriageable age, um, he's not doing anything. And Tamar realizes that that this family honor, family responsibility is not going to be carried out. So after Judah's wife dies and the mourning period is over, he's heading for the shearing of the sheep, which is a big party and she dress she dresses as a prostitute and stations herself in his path and you know it's we never talk about this but why did she think this would be a successful plan why why did she think that would be an interesting plan (laughs) i mean obviously he's gonna be looking or he's done this before and gone to that place right hello hello (laughs) yeah i mean don't we know a lot of men who would walk on the other side of the street and go home Mm -hmm. you know but not judah so anyway he takes the bait (laughs) 
and um, doesn't have any money. So what he leaves with her is the equivalent of his passport or his his driver's license or his credit card. And um, she's when they go with the goat that they're going to pay her with, she's not there. And um, then Judah learns that she's pregnant through hmm. prostitution. And he orders an honor killing for something he's guilty of. And so she kind of, they bring her out and she <laughs> presents his uh, these items that identify him as the father of her child. Actually, twins, twin boys. So she, God blesses her with replacing both of her dead husbands. I mean, it's really quite extraordinary. But anyway, what he says when she does that, it's the moment that he's forced to look in the mirror and see the man he has become. Mm-hmm. And he says, in the, in the translations we have say, she is more righteous than I, mm-hmm. which is an insane statement that doesn't For make man. any mm-hmm. sense. It doesn't make yeah. any sense. But what he's really saying is she is righteous, I am not. Mm-hmm. And it's after this that the the man we see in Judah is a different man. Because mm-hmm. when he meets Joseph in Egypt and he doesn't know it's Joseph, and they found Joseph's cup in Benjamin's sack, and they are going to take Benjamin to be a slave, Judah is the one offers himself who offers himself and Mm -hmm. i mean if you when you put the whole story together yes the tamar story is the the pivot point in the Hmm. the genesis narrative and you really can't explain what happens afterwards without that piece but pastors a lot of them skip it you know or else they just say i don't know what to say about this because it's so awful that Hmm. she's she's a prostitute but the word that defines her isn't prostitute it's righteous, righteous, and it comes mm-hmm. from yeah. the lips of Judah. Mm-hmm. Somebody, asked, somebody asked me, because I contributed to a book called Vindicating the Vixens, and I wrote the Tamar chapter, and I was asked in an interview, you know, how is it that you can vindicate Tamar? And I said, I don't. Judah vindicates her. Oh, that's true. Yeah. We'll be back in a moment, but first, let's check in with Elizabeth Harper, our in-house beauty expert, for some top trends and your daily dose of practical advice. Hey everybody, I hope you're having a great day. This is Elizabeth with your tips and tricks. Today, I'm going to take you around the world. You know, I remember growing up, um, my grandmother was like my beauty guru. She always would put me up on the toilet when she was getting ready, stand me up, fix my hair, put makeup on. She taught me a few of those beauty things that I still hold on to this day, like whatever lipstick you wear, put it on your cheeks as well for the ultimate coordinating color. Or if you run out of mints, take a little bit of perfume, not a lot, and put just a drop on your tongue and you'll have fresh floral smelling breath for the rest of the day. Those are some things that I hold on to. And so one of the things that I've done is as I've met people from different countries and different parts of the world, I always ask them like, what are your beauty secrets or treats that your grandmother or your mom passed down to you? And so I'm going to pass a few down to y'all today. Um, One is from Australia and it is the healing power of tea tree. So if you have dandruff or dry scalp, add about eight drops of tea tree to a full bottle of shampoo, shake it up and it's your own 
um, dandruff dry scalp treating shampoo. It really works. Works better than anything I found on the market, actually. I definitely recommend trying it. Um, the next one, I don't know about y'all, but I've got some under eye circles. Sleep is few and far between these days, and I need this one in a big way. Sit thin slices of potato. It can just be like a russet potato and you're going to place them over your eyes like you would cucumber slices that you see at the spa. You're going to leave them on for 10 minutes and this not only will begin to lighten dark circles, but over time you're going to see greater and greater results. Um, the next one, this is one of my favorites right now. A lot of people in the Middle East do this and that's using um, castor oil to help stimulate hair growth. And you can put this on your eyebrows, on your eyelashes. You can also work it into your scalp and it's going to help your hair to grow. Put it from roots to ends and it's going to give you tons of shine. But remember, double wash. When you rinse it out of your hair, do a double wash on your hair. Remove all that excess oil and that way you won't have like nasty greasy scalp for the rest of the day okay head on over to the blog for some more around the world beauty tips okay guys have a great day i've thought about that a lot of times you have these people mm. who get these uh labels you know mm. like peter the denier and thomas the doubter mm. and tamar the prostitute but really i mean it's it's sad that we know them by their mistake um or what, I don't know, I guess Tamar's wasn't really a mistake, but it's sad that sometimes we know them by this, um, or David the adulterer, right? But I think of him mm -hmm. as the repenter. David repented when he, you know, when Nathan came to him, he he repented finally. Um, it reminds me a lot of the mm -hmm. same story with Tamar and Judah because it wasn't easy. And at first he he is angry and he wants to get vengeance um, but then Nathan's like, that's you. <laughs> and he's yeah. like, oh, you know, and then, and then he, he suffers, his children, family suffers mm -hmm. for his sin for the rest of his life, but he still loves God. Um, and so mm -hmm. that's, that's one of the, my favorite things about David is that, um, you know, as a king, he could have just had Nathan killed, hmm. and, <laughs> yeah. you know? Like, I guess, the truth, right? <laughs> right. He could have just had him killed and covered it up and then lived in sin for the rest of his life. But he didn't, you know, hmm. and yeah. and I think that, that it takes a lot of character for someone who's so steeped in sin to repent and to turn around and say, I'm going to love God even through the consequences mm -hmm. of everything I'm going to suffer for the rest of my life. He still loved God to the end, you know, and so I think that's beautiful, but so Carolyn, it's so obvious, just even as you were speaking about the story of Tamar, just that there's so much study that you've done, like that you've hidden so much of the word of God in your heart and just the knowledge and the theology that you have. Um, in your book, Life and Beliefs Collide, you say, far too many women have been steered away from the serious pursuit of deeply knowing God and our homes, our families, our churches, and even our world are suffering as a result but knowing God changes everything. Will you just talk a little bit more as to what theology is and why it's so important for us as women to know theology, <laughs> to have theology? Yeah, I mean, I think we've, it, we've turned it into a, a professional academic hmm. discipline and, you know, it, we see it as divisive or that it produces arrogance 
that people know all these big words that we that we don't understand and mm-hmm. and what you find when you look at the bible is that the bible views women as theologians it views them in terms of what they know about god and how they live that out in their stories and you know if if we're created to be God's image bearers, that means that the first thing we know about ourselves is that we are to know the God who created us mm-hmm. to reflect mm-hmm. him, you know. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a human calling. It's not a you know, it's not a just for the professionals, it's for everybody. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the fact is, and we when we all learn this one way or another, that when the bottom drops out of our stories we're going to reach for what we know about God, whether Mm. it's a little or a lot, whether it's true or false. And, you know, for me, I grew up in the church. I was raised on the Bible. But when I hit that stretch of singleness, I found Mm. out that I didn't know God as well as I thought I did. Mm. And, you know, I thought he had abandoned me. I thought Mm -hmm. he cared more about other people than he did about me. Um, And I had to work my way through that. And, Mm. But it, um, yeah. So I think the in the and it's 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 something I think women should 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 really excel in because it's about a relationship mm-hmm. and it's about understanding somebody. It's about listening. It's about hearing what what we read in the Bible that you know, tells us about God, everything in the Bible is revealing God to us. You know, the first question we should be asking when we read these stories in the Bible is what does this tell me about God? I mean, the story, the story of Tamar and Judah tells us that that God loves somebody that is so lost and is not looking for him and he pursues him and that God can use anybody he chooses, you know, in a patriarchal culture for a a widow, you know, to be God's point person to reel Judah back in, um, you know, so, and, and I tell the story in when life and beliefs collide about uh, Mary of Bethany Mm-hmm. who I think is the first great New Testament theologian. And all the pieces, she just shows us what theology mm-hmm. is all about, that it, at, at, at a fundamental level, it's about a relationship with Jesus. And she sits at his feet as a student, and he's teaching her the same things he taught the men and everybody else. And she's listening. In fact, some people think she was his best listener, and then the bottom drops out for her when when her brother gets sick and they know Jesus is their friend and they know he loves them and they know he's a healer and they're hearing stories of all the amazing things he's doing and they send an SOS and he doesn't come mm-hmm. he doesn't come and we just run, run ahead to the resurrection of her brother and we don't sit with Mary in her grief when Jesus mm. shows up mm. and say, this is, this is part of learning theology that Jesus, she's asking questions. Mm. You know, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Mm-hmm. And so, and then, you know, everything she learns about him, when the things that he teaches her, the struggle she learns to trust him when he doesn't make sense and she doesn't understand and she doesn't like what he's doing 
all of that leads her to stand with him in the face of the cross. Mm-hmm. She anoints him for his burial. It is If she doesn't understand what she's doing, it is a flagrant act of unbelief. It's appalling. It's like saying your enemies are going to get you. And, mm-hmm. it's, and instead, Jesus said, she did this to repair my body for burial, and she has done a beautiful thing to me. I mean, mm-hmm. she's, she stands with him in the battle. So, you know, theology is about learning. It's about struggling in our lives. We, you know, we go deeper there. And it's about, it's about action. It's, mm-hmm. it, it moves us to care for others, to enter into their struggles. So, mm, so good. That yeah, is so good. I mean, it's richer than we than we often think. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I love um, when life and beliefs collide has encouraged me so much because um, I speak at student uh, for students a lot of times, and so there have been times that I've been confronted by different people, um, all men, of course, <laughs> who have said that I shouldn't be on stage and I shouldn't you know, because I'm a woman and then Mm -hmm. just nitpicked certain theologies apart. And I remember having a discussion with one of them where they were asking me questions and I was trying to explain, you know, the, the teaching. And he said, um, I just need to go back to my room. And I wrote down word for word what you said that was wrong. (laughs) And I'm thinking, well, if you wrote it word for word down, there's probably something wrong in there because I'm certainly not God. Um, But as I was trying to explain it to him, my husband was standing there and he, he, I don't think he was ready. This man was ready to listen to me. And so my husband said, well, I think this is what she means. And when my husband explained it, all of a sudden everything was okay. And it was the same thing I had said. And so it's just so hard sometimes Mm -hmm. because I think that there are perceptions that women are not able to read scripture and have a theology um, if you don't maybe I don't know what it is I just feel like sometimes that I wish sometimes I had these credentials right here you know child of God I know God <laughs> um, I'm not trying to deceive anyone God speaks to me <laughs> yeah I mean it's it's just very hard sometimes especially for females and so I think that even in this podcast um, series that I'm trying to do, I'm trying to draw awareness to the fact that Hmm. God loves women. He's created women. He's given us our identity with him, in him. We have the ability to hear him. We have the ability to tell others who he is. And that is what theology Hmm. is. And and I think that I have been intimidated Hmm. at times, feeling like, People have said, you're not learned enough. You don't have enough credentials. You don't have all of these things. Um, And so that can be hard. It can be hard to stand under that and to still keep your faith. And I remember even telling my husband at one point, I think I'm just not going to do this anymore. (laughs) And he said, Mm. Bashari, this is your gift. Mm. And I can see this is who God has made you to be. Mm -hmm. You see things in Scripture in a way that, I don't think I don't see and other people that I know don't see. Mm -hmm. And so keep going. And he's the one that brought me out. And um, I mean, I was ready to, I was in the bathtub, remember, just crying. (laughs) And I was like, I am not doing this again. And he said, but this is what you're supposed to be doing. And, um, and so Mm -hmm. he helped, I mean, it's taken, it took about a year for me to come out of that hole Mm 
Um, but I but I feel like the Lord is has given me the joy to do what I love to do again, rather than the fear. I think there was a little bit of fear for a little while because criticism, especially when you're a female, um, for, and especially for me, I didn't know how. I just didn't know how to how to battle it inside or how to translate everything that was coming at me in the correct funnel uh, or the correct mm. lens, I guess, mm. is what I'm trying to say. And the Lord's given me that gift. And so I want to I want to be able to provide that for other women who may feel intimidated as well, that they're not good enough or that they don't um, have enough to give or that this man has a better perspective because he's a man. Mm. Um, and that's the purpose of just talking about some of these things is to mm. encourage our listeners. Yeah. So um, I, I wondered if you could talk about a time that Jesus talked with a woman in the Bible and it was like a theology conversation. You kind of alluded to it. I don't know if you want to use Mary, um, but how he cared that women had good theology. Um, will you talk about an interaction with a woman in the Bible and how that played out with Jesus? Yeah. And again, this is why it's important to recognize the patriarchal backdrop because under patriarchy, the worlds of men and women were divided. And, um, you know, men did, remember when Jesus talks to the Samaritan, the Samaritan woman mm-hmm. and his disciples come back and they're shocked that he's talking to a woman. So shocked. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, you know, and, and, you know, we've, we've learned that it, a man in public wouldn't even speak to his own mother. Mm-hmm. So Jesus is, Jesus breaks all the rules. And mm-hmm. um, and he does teach women, and, and not just Mary, but also her sister Martha. I mean, when their brother is, is well, when, when she complains about her sister not helping with the mm-hmm. dinner, and Jesus says to her, there's really only one thing that matters, and Mary has found it, and we always think, that Martha, you know, shrugged and went back to the kitchen. But I, I can't, I think she sat down. Mm-hmm. I think she sat down. And when you look at the, the death of their brother and when he's still dead, the conversation Jesus has with Martha is utterly profound. He's talking to her about the resurrection and the life. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and Lazarus is dead, you know, and she's engaging with him at a level that she didn't learn about in the kitchen. You know, she mm-hmm. I think she said, how would you turn your back on Jesus after he says, Martha, Martha? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. You know, and she was the first one um, to come out. She went back and got Mary, which yes. I don't I don't know why. But in the first story, you have Mary sitting at Jesus's feet. And the second one, you have Martha running to him and, yes. and then saying, mm-hmm. Mary, he's here. And calling um, him the teacher. He's, yes. He's the teacher. Yes. So I yeah. actually <laughs> it's funny because I hadn't read that part of your book yet. And when I was studying Mary and Martha and I um I told my husband, I said, I think I don't think he said this as to be mean to Mar- Martha. I think he was saying, why are you not here? Yes. Like, you can put that yes. down. I'd love yes. for you to be here. You mm. can both sit here. It's <laughs> good. Come, come mm. to me, you know? Yeah. And um, I just love that. Um, <laughs> but uh, we've had such a good time with you today. And I wondered, um, can you just give us one um, word of encouragement, I think, that you can just – 
I don't know. I don't know how to pick that one word of encouragement, but just for our listeners to press forward and searching out theology and learning about women in the Bible, um, what would how would you encourage them to do that? Yeah, I think you know. I think the vision for God's daughters is big, and the more we learn about it, the better the better able we will be to throw ourselves into our own stories and live out. Um, live the gospel in our circumstances. I um, I feel like the women in the Bible have saved my life in many mm-hmm. ways. And, mm-hmm. um, and again, because their stories take place in a culture that would silence women completely and push them behind the curtain, you have women who are some of the some of the best theologians in the Bible are women like Hagar, who teaches us the, about the God who sees us, you know, who, who doesn't need to know that. And she's the one who brings that to us. And Hannah teaches us about God's sovereignty that she learns through her struggle with barrenness. And, you know, it just goes on and on and on through the Bible that, that, you know, our stories matter and we're part of the body of Christ and Jesus wants a healthy, fully functioning body. So we need to give all we have to him. I love this. Well, mm-hmm. Carolyn, I want to um, tell you it's been truly an honor for Shay and yes. I <laughs> to talk to you today about basically today we talked a little bit about your book, Lost Women of the Bible and When Life and Beliefs Collide. Um, so if you guys who are listening didn't soak up enough wisdom from Carolyn today, if you want more, um, first of all, she'll be on our next week's episode eight of Overcoming Monday. Um, and also she's written four other books besides these two. You can order her books, uh, read her blog and learn more about this amazing woman on her website, carolyncustisjames.com. That's Carolyn with a Y. And, um, so Carolyn, I want to thank you. Uh, we appreciate you so much. Thank you for being Thanks. here. Thanks. Thanks. It was fun. <laughs> it was fun. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to episode six of the Overcoming Monday podcast. Be sure to share us with your friends and follow Shari on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at ShariKing99. And for more encouragement to move you forward in your faith, check out her blog at ShariKing.com. Thanks again for listening, and we hope we've given you something to help overcome this Monday.